Hello, and welcome to tonight's episode of The Epic Pencil, a weekly evening of original fiction, conversations with writers, and more. I'm your host, Chris Watson. Thanks for joining me. Fantasy stories have always been a favorite of mine, whether on the page or the screen. My parents read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis to me, along with his other books early on, and I was hooked on the idea of a world unlike our own. Soon after, I discovered The Chronicles of Prydain by Lloyd Alexander, with the adventures of Taran of Caerdalbin and his journey from assistant pig keeper to something much more. That was perhaps the first series that I read that followed the same characters all the way through. It also immersed me for the first time in some true world building, and a land infused with magic, but not simply people hurling spells at one another like they were baseballs. For years, whenever I would jot down ideas for stories, they tended to land in one of three genres. Fantasy, sci-fi, or mystery. And that's also what I love to read. But I was also faced with the question, could I actually write a fantasy novel, or in the spirit of Lloyd Alexander and the other authors I would read afterwards, a fantasy series that would be something I would want to read? Although I suppose in the case of tonight's episode and those to follow, the question is whether I could write a fantasy novel that an audience would want to listen to. So I tried, wrapping up my novel Circle's Call in late 2019 after several years of work. I've since been steadily revising and refining, and I'm beginning to make the pitch to try and get it on the shelves to see if anyone will read it. So let's put pencil to paper and begin Circle's Call, an as-yet-but-hopefully-soon-to-be-published novel of fantasy. Prologue The old woman closed her eyes, feeling the cool water flowing around her bare feet. The rivulet stroked her skin, embracing her. The hint of a smile twitched at the side of her mouth. The water soothed and comforted her. She struggled to recall when she hadn't been made whole by water. As a child, she hadn't realized that she was incomplete until that glorious day when her gift had emerged, immersing her in a cascade of sensation and possibility. Now, after seventy years with her gift, the water was an extension of her being, expanding her world, her reach, and her touch as naturally as her eyes or her ears. The smooth flow of the water fluttered as it passed around her feet, an anomaly so faint that it was only noticeable to one for whom the water was part of her own body. Somewhere, a breath of wind, a change in pressure... Something had disturbed the gentle stream in which she stood. They'd found her. They were coming. She sighed, a mixture of resignation, acceptance, and weariness. So long on the run, so long in hiding, and now, now it was coming to an end. She sighed again. Judges how her joints ached. The water, her beloved, could do many things, but curing her aging body was not one of them. She glanced down, seeing the myriad wrinkles across her hands. She tried to remember what it felt like to be young and careless, unencumbered by the decades. Truth be told, it was hard to even remember who she had been all that time ago. Fifty years as Shen Tursk made it difficult to summon her younger, earlier self, the one she'd left behind. But that younger woman was not entirely lost to her. So confident, so righteous, so willing to fight... She smiled at those memories of her lost self. She hadn't shed those particular traits. They'd simply matured. The rough edges smoothed by the years as the stone beneath her feet had been smoothed by the flow of the stream. Another disturbance. They were getting closer. At least the periapt was safe. 
hidden away and out of their reach. She smiled grimly. If by coming here they believed that they could claim its power for those at the center of the circle, well, they would just have to learn to live with their disappointment. That was, if they survived the night, she thought. She was not going to make it easy. Her senses quested out through the water, and the water brought the world back to her. They were here. She was tired and old, and it was time to stop running. No more hiding. She'd willingly accepted this path fifty years before. Now the end was in sight. She accepted that. Regretted it, yes, but if now was the end, it had all been worth it. Ismena, she whispered, I've missed you for so long. I'll be coming home to you soon, little girl. She felt them approaching. They thought they were moving stealthily, but the lacework of channels that carried water under and around her home were her nerves, and she could feel their every step. Shen opened her eyes and looked around her gardens, a fifty-year labor of love. She inhaled the moist, rich scents of the flowers, the trees, and the grasses. Wherever she looked, life bloomed and pulsed. The home she'd made for herself in exile thrived with water and life. She wondered if anyone would find it and tend it when she was gone. She saw movement on the far side of the gardens. Figures in black. They were here. Her long life in hiding was complete. Shen reached out for the water and smiled in bliss as it swirled and rose about her. There would be time, she thought, for one more dance. One last battle. One final embrace. Chapter 1 In the Blind Lookout The shout of alarm from Point Bustine's watchtower was cut off almost instantly, becoming a brief cry of agony that carried through the darkness across the still waters. From the ship's deck below her, Captain Azabeth No. Murray heard a hoarse string of curses erupt from the black cloaked figure. She shook her head and turned toward Jezel Wannabe by her side. Did he think this judge's damned operation was going to be silent? Two guard towers and only one shout. He should be weeping with joy. Her first mate said nothing, just looked back down at the dark deck where the pagan lady's cargo, a mass of armed men, shuffled about waiting the order to descend to the boats. Nomuri glanced to the north where she knew that the Rasmin lay hove to in the darkness, disgorging another set of attackers to silence the lookouts of the Point Lomar Tower. She was certain that Kegworthy, the Rasmin's captain, was no doubt enjoying the promise of plunder and attendant violence that came with the night's operation. She, however, had no taste for it. But the deed was done, the contract signed, and she and her crew had to deliver the agreed-upon service or face the guild's wrath. The faintest silver gleam from Samadrel, the smaller of Ramastria's two moons, appeared above the horizon as the faint creak of oars carried to Nomori's ears. A flicker of dim red light followed the sound. Once, twice, three flashes. The small raiding party was on its way back from Point Bustine, the southern watchtower for the harbor city of Selmar, now silenced. Mr. Wannabe, signal Rasmund that we are ready to proceed. I cut at one OB's quiet order, a triangle of lights, two red and one blue, were hoisted to the foremast. 
Two minutes later, an answering triangle of two blue and one red appeared from the opposite side of the mouth of Chandrigan Bay. She stepped to the quarterdeck rail and watched as the men, cutthroats all and not one she'd ever hire aboard the lady, swarmed down the side of her ship into the waiting boats. As they did, the cloaked figure stepped to the rail. He swept his hands up and out in a commanding motion, and the sailors around him shrank back, murmurs of awe in the air. The figures in the boats became indistinct as mist began to rise from the sea around them. It thickened into a dense fog that spilled forth, flowing down the harbor mouth and obscuring the attackers until far too late. No Murray rolled her eyes. Such flamboyant gestures were unnecessary for the Stangen Lord down on her deck. However, this one appeared to enjoy the attention his little performance generated among the members of the raiding party. The boats were now darker patches of fog as they shoved off, the men laying to their muffled oars. More than 120 men, previously packed to the deckheads of her schooner, and another 200 from the larger Rasmin, were now racing across the water toward the silent city beyond. Damn, Rorqual, she swore to herself. I never should have let him talk me into this contract. This is uglier business than I knew, and now I'm stuck with it. She let out a long sigh as the last of the longboats vanished. All she could do now was to try and get her crew and her ship out of this mess alive. Gullock slapped a copper down on the rough bar. Another, he belched, mouth rank with the brackish taste of the first few mugs of Derman's ale. The swill served in the blind lookout only managed to avoid being classified as out-and-out sewer water thanks to whatever dead things Derman probably left floating in the barrels to add flavor and body. On the other hand, poor as it was, it was still plentiful, something of great importance to Gullock, cheap, of even greater importance, and Derman usually didn't kick Gullock out until after he had spent his last copper, which, if Gullock's sodden brain remembered rightly, he had just put down on the counter. After she finished serving two newcomers, Rella, Derman's woman, stumped over and plunked a full mug down on the bar. Gullock's last lonely copper vanished into one of the many pockets in her skirts. Stop your staring, you old sot, she muttered as she walked away. Ah, Rella, you're a fine-shaped woman and don't let no one say different, Gullock called out toward a broad retreating backside. Derman's a lucky bastard, me dear. He hoisted the mug, toasted the barmaid, and took a deep draft before stumbling away from the bar and toward the fireplace. Midnight had come and gone already, and with fog settling in across Harborside, the blind lookout boasted only a few patrons. Narv and Sheffer sat with their backs to Gullock, huddled over the dice they were tossing along the wall and chuckling or groaning with each roll, coppers changing hands. Another sailor, someone he didn't recognize, snored deep in his cups at one of the tables. Gullock fell heavily to a bench by the fire, wincing as his old joints twinged on the way down. "'Oh, Sandish! Oh, Orag!' he said to the new recent arrivals. "'Oh, Gullock!' replied the wiry Sandish. Orag grunted. Never one for much conversation was the burly Tremantian. "'Did you just get in?' asked Gullock, taking another swallow of ale. "'Don't think I've seen you since spring.' "'Yeah, docked this afternoon, three weeks out of Elman on the Fernays. "'Before that, Castile and Hilland. "'Foul weather most of the way back, though, "'and us spending time getting soaked and thinking about them Elmanese cat houses. "'Made half-decent pay out of the deal, though, didn't we, Orag?' "'Orag grunted in assent, 
reaching down to scratch his crotch, whether in memory of the whores or because of them, Gullick didn't know or care. What's the word around here? Eh, shrugged Gullick, nothing different. Last few days have been all noise, what would the protector's jubilee. Dermon changed the rats in the ale barrels a week or two ago to celebrate, so it tastes fresh. He bellowed out this last bit over his shoulder for Rella's benefit. The sleeping sailor snorted and sat up for a moment at the sound before dropping his head back down to the scarred tabletop. Ah, you wouldn't appreciate good ale, said Rella, because it just runs right through under your breeches, you drunken old sot. With another titanic belch, Gullick raised his mug in salute, took another swig, and then turned back to Sandish and his partner. She can't keep her eyes or hands off me, he whispered with a wink. Yeah, she's checking you for money and judging when to kick you out on your arse. Gullick laughed. I'd like to do something more than kick her arse, he muttered. Orag stirred. She'd cut you like a fish, he rumbled. Yeah, but it would be fun until then. The fire sparked as the logs shifted. The three men sat, staring at it and nursing their drinks. Gullick felt the room spin a bit, even though he was sitting, a sure sign that the ale was doing its work. Zavu's shop looked closed down, Sanders remarked after a brief while. Out of business, the older man slurred, shaking his head but regretting it immediately. Got burned out, didn't want to pay the mongrels or so the rumor goes. So Zavu had an accident and his shop got torched. It happens, Sanders shrugged. More lately, Rimal, that shadowy bastard, is running the mongrels now. Has been for almost a year or so, so you'd best be nice to them if you want to get work and not accidentally have a crate dropped on your legs. Damn that Rimald, he thought. Maybe the ale wasn't working as well as it should. Not our problem, replied Senish. We've already signed on for another passage on the Fernays once she gets loaded up again tomorrow. Maybe heading to Hockvor or Port Jonquil next. So, Fernays is needing hands? asked Gullick, staring into his mug. Sandish looked up, eyes narrowing. Since when do you want to ship out, Gullick? You ain't sailed nowhere serious in years. Ah, tis nothing, just wondering, he muttered. Heard you owe some money, Orag said slowly. Me? Nah, just a misunderstanding, said the older man. Her Rimald is giving you two more days. What? How did you hear that? I listen, Orag said and closed his eyes, letting his head drop down to his chest. Tis a... Judge's curse lies, that's what it is, slurred Gullick, tongue tripping a bit more over the words. Sanders shook his head. Sorry, mate, worth more than I am to cross the mongrels, especially if you owe them money. What you gonna do something stupid like that for? I heard there's good money on you once the two days are up, sniggered Narv from the other table where he tossed the dice again. Sheffer laughed cruelly, a flicker of avarice in his eyes as he glanced at the old man. Bloody hell! Gullock grunted. He stood, knees cracking and his back, feeling his age. You boys, you sail safe, he said to Sanish. I'm done, and it's getting rank in here. He took a step and caught himself on the tabletop. I'm okay. I'm okay, he said to no one in particular, stumbled to the door, and punctuated his departure with another rumbling belch. The thick fog shrouded Agnes Alley as Gullock stepped on unsteady legs out of the tavern. Samadrell was just rising above the buildings, 
her light shining faintly through the night's mist. Vastrum, the greater moon in Samadril's consort, hadn't risen yet, leaving the harbor-side streets of Selmar a mist-blanketed, dim maze that muffled the ever-present rumble of the falls to the north. He tasted the sea salt in the air and felt the dampness begin to seep through his worn and patched tunic. The door to the blind lookout shut behind him, and with it vanished any sense of safety or refuge from the disaster that loomed ahead. Judges, damn Rimmold, damn him and those cheating horse-son card dealers working for him, Gullock thought. And curse Valina, leave it to the judge of luck and fortune to sashay out on him when he was on a roll, just as he had borrowed more money to place his biggest bet and clear his losses. Winning would have meant no more rat-soaked ale at Derman's place for a while. He could have had real wine, maybe even a bottle of Wittenberg. Well, not a good bottle of Wittenberg, but better than anything Gullock had consumed in years. But instead, he'd felt the fingers of the lucky lady turn cold as they brushed over him and vanished, leaving him staring at a losing hand when the last card came up black knaves. Now he had one week to repay more money than Gullock would see in two years of slopping out boats and doing odd jobs for a copper here and a copper there when the drunken stupor wore off. He staggered away from the lookout and, shoulder occasionally dragging along the buildings for support, began to make his way toward the docks. And what had he done for the last five days? Turned every copper he'd earned, begged, found, or stolen into mugs of ale so he could forget, even just for a minute or two, what Rimmold's bruisers would do to him in just a few days. Now he was drunk as hell and still couldn't forget. With a squawk, he stumbled and fell, feet sliding out from under him, slipping in the muck along the gutter. He sat there, numb, for a moment, and then his nose was assaulted by a foul odor. Horseshit. He'd slipped and landed in a pile of horseshit. At least it's my ass that landed in the shit, he thought. The laughter rose unbidden, and then there was no stopping it as he sat in the filth and leaned against the wall of a neglected warehouse. Having a little trouble, citizen? asked a deep voice. Without opening his eyes, Gullock just waved his hand toward the sound. Leave me alone, I'm fine, he tried to say, but between the drunken hysterics and his fuzzy tongue, it sounded more like, Leave me alone, fine. Derman, throw you out again, Gullock. The drunk tried to bite down on his mad giggles and looked up. Who's that? He squinted into the fog at the face not too far from him. Ah, evening, constable. He said, staring into the face of his nephew, Constable Arvin Liddell of the Night Guard. Oh, you stink, Uncle. You need to watch where you sit next time, Liddell replied. Placing his shuttered lamp on the ground, he stepped up to Gullock and, placing his hands underneath the drunk's arms, hoisted him upright and leaned him against the wall. Gullock moaned, the sudden movement making him see bright flashes inside his head. He took a slow, deep breath, willing the bursts of light to go away. His stomach roiled, and he struggled to avoid a revisitation by Derman's ale. Bloody rats, he thought. A few moments later, he opened his eyes again. His nephew, a broad-shouldered member of the Selmaran Night Guard, stood in front of him, a small flask held in one extended hand. Here, Liddell said, it's just water, so don't be shocked, but drink it anyway. After a few moments, Gullock felt somewhat better, nowhere close to sober, but at least a bit more in control of himself. 
He finished off the last of the water and handed the flask back to his sister's youngest son, who opened his lantern shutter slightly, giving a sickly yellow cast to the fog. Thank you, boy. Are you going to be all right? Ah, yeah, the old man said. Guess that last drink or two caught up with me. That's not what I mean, the constable replied. I've heard rumors you're in trouble. Gullock remained silent. Word does get around, uncle. I'll be fine. Gonna get a job on a ship, maybe get out of town for a while. A smile touched with a hint of pity crossed Liddell's lips. All right, but I suggest going down to the beach and washing up first. Otherwise, no captain or mate will even think about letting you on board. Gullock levered himself up off the wall until he was on his own two feet. He reached out, held his nephew by the shoulder, and patted him on the face with his other filthy hand. You're a good boy, Arvin. You tell your mama I said so. And with that, he swayed down the street and into the fog. At this hour of night, with the heavy fog working its way farther up the hill toward Cityside, it wasn't any surprise that Harborside was quieter than usual. Muted, indistinct conversations drifted out from the few other taverns along this stretch of the city. Evening, Gullock. He looked up at the slender young woman standing in the open doorway wearing nothing but a shimmering blue shift. Hello, Madge, he replied, coming to a stop close to the building. Busy tonight? Not a bit, don't you know, said the dark-haired whore. Me and the other girls are trying to keep ourselves entertained. Care to come in for a visit? The old drunk sighed. There had been a time when a tug and a tumble with a pretty young thing like Madge would have appealed, but not tonight, as the liquor and the fate looming over him took any stiffness out of his mast. Nah, not tonight. Ah, Gullick, you're no fun, but you look like you used to be, she said, and the whore's gently mocking laughter followed him down the street. By the time Gullick reached the docks, he had a few more bruises than before, the result of an additional fall or two suffered as he made his way through the fogged-in streets. He stopped to catch his breath. The scent of charred wood told him he had made it as far as Zavu's. The chandler's shop was now just a burnt frame. The fire brigade and the sailors on the dockside made sure that the fire hadn't spread to other stores, the ships tied to the wharves, or the warehouses. Didn't mean anything to Zavu, of course. The last gullet had heard Zavu's menu now included soup as long as it didn't include anything he needed to chew, whether he'd walk again remained to be seen. Gullock shuddered. Damn, Rimalt! Yes, it was definitely time to leave Selmar for a while. He'd been a good sailor once, even shipped out a few times as a master's mate. It had been a while, but he could do it again. Avoid the mongrels, see the world. Yes, it was time to go. But first, he had to relieve himself. He stood and began walking in his best effort at a straight line toward the wharves. The waterfront was silent. Even the sound of the waves against the pilings was swallowed by the fog. Standing by the docks, he peered into the mist. It had been such a warm, clear night when he had gone into the lookout, and now he could barely see ten feet in front of him. He swayed out onto the dock, lifting his feet in an exaggerated motion to avoid stumbling on any raised boards. He stood on the dock above a small sailing craft that was tied to the pilings. He smiled, swaying on the edge, looking down at the boat, a pretty little thing that belonged to a judge's cursed merchant who'd thrown Gullock out when he'd asked for some odd jobs. Yeah, definitely where he wanted to be. Grunting quietly, he fumbled at his breeches. 
loosening them so he could relieve himself all over the boat. He giggled for a moment and then let himself go. The splattering on the deck below seemed thunderous in the silence of the foggy night. Wait, that wasn't right. He shook his head, trying to clear the muddle within it. It shouldn't be silent. The bells. He should be hearing bells from the harbor mouth, out at the watchtowers. He looked up and out to sea, alarm cutting through the ale. Then the knife came out of the darkness from behind him, slicing across his throat. His cry was choked off, and Gullock's last sight was his own blood arcing up and out from him in the dim moonlight. The sack of Selmar had begun. Thanks for listening this week to the opening of Circle's Call. As always, I'm looking for feedback at chris at pretendingtowrite.com. Next week, we'll return to the world of Amastria and begin to meet a few of our major players. And until we read again next week, please enjoy a great book or two and remember to support your local independent booksellers. The content of the Epic Pencil and Circle's Call is copyright 2020 by Christopher Watson.